Hey, welcome to the One Dive at a Time podcast. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. Today, doing the show from Hoodsport, Washington. This is a really unique area that I enjoy diving. The problem is I'm not diving today. Talk about that here in just a little bit. Decided to do a getaway and meet up with some friends. I love this place. It's, it is an amazing place to dive. If if you look at a map of Hoodsport, you're going to find that it's not it's not an inlet. Okay, a lot of people will describe it as an inlet. It's actually a canal that was formed by an iceberg that carved its way through the continent as it made its way to the ocean. And it it basically the, the to get to the ocean, you have to go back up through like, you know, Victoria BC. From this area is again look at the map see how it's carved out it's really unique but you'll find things like giant pacific octopus wolf eels uh, if you go really really deep i've heard rumors of six gill sharks i've never seen one i have been deep out in this area but nothing like that i love this place i love teaching the underwater naturalist workshop out here i love teaching deep diving out here it's just it's a phenomenal place this time it was to just get away and go dive and I guess I, I guess I'll go ahead and jump into why I'm not diving. That's because I've got like an ear tooth issue going on, and it. Oh, hey, by the way, I am remote, <laughs> and you're going to hear traffic going back and forth. You're going to hear people in the background. That's totally cool. All right, I've said for a long time I'm not going to throw a lot of production into this. As a matter of fact, I've pod faded for a few weeks, just because either I was busy, I didn't have anything I really wanted to talk about on the show or i was just plain lazy pick your you know take your pick it it may even be a combination of those but we're back this week and i'm going to do a couple of shows from out here in hisport all right so this this tooth ear thing that i've got going on about six weeks ago as i was diving i noticed that when i inhaled as the air went across my teeth i felt this really sharp pain didn't really think anything about it, finished out the dive, had a little bit of pain. So I thought, well, let's go ahead and check in with my dentist. And sure enough, I had I had a cavity. We got that filled. The next week, I'm back out diving. And by the way, I've done a couple of dives in between getting my tooth filled and having another dive where I felt the same thing, except the pain was a little more intense. So Tried the Ambisol thing, did a little bit of, of, I think, ibuprofen or Tylenol, one of those. I always get them mixed up. And was still having a little bit of pain. Went back to the dentist, did extensive x-rays. He looked all around it. Couldn't find anything again. Go back out on another dive. About a week and a half later, again, more dives in between. And... It's actually in the, in fact, I take it back, it wasn't, wasn't on a dive, it was in a pool. I felt the pain, went back out to dive that afternoon, finished up that dive, and the pain was so 
intense I was having to lay on the ground. And that happened several more times. Wound up in the urgent care because now I feel a little bit of throbbing in my ear. Talked to the medical resources at Divers Alert Network and they're like, you need to go. Well, I made a trip to urgent care. They put me on antibiotics. Was on antibiotics for about a week. Went back to my dentist again. After I finished out the antibiotics, after I was having incredible tooth pain again, I mean, to the point where I can't drive, I have to pull off to the side of the road and just kind of wait it out. I even tried, if I felt the pain on a dive, say I was at 15 feet and I felt it, I would go back down and in my mind, I'm recompressing. So 15 foot dive, I'll go down to about like 15 feet again, hang out. And then I would ascend at one foot per minute, kind of decompressing the tooth. And I got to tell you, for a couple of weeks or so, well, yeah, actually a couple of weeks, that worked. Until this last week, and I wound up in the ER because the pain was so incredible over the course of a day. Now, here's the really strange part. It doesn't always happen right after a dive. It can be two hours. In fact, this last case, it was like two hours after the dive. And I had this incredible pain. So after talking to Divers Alert Network, I wind up in the ER. Wind up on another regimen of antibiotics. And now I've got stuff set up for an ENT. We just got to get this thing figured out. And all this is happening in the middle of my cancer swim. As I'm trying to do the 15-mile challenge for the month of July. So where I'm sitting with on the cancer swim I'm stuck at like 10.2 miles I've done everything on scuba underwater and my goal was to do it 100% on scuba so what I'm going to wind up doing since I can't put compression on the tooth is I'm going to be in scuba gear and I'm just going to do surface swims with scuba gear for for the remaining five miles because I want to do it 100% on scuba but I've got about a week and about about a week and a half to finish that up so I'm just going to have to chisel out here and there. And while I'm up here at Hoodsport, I'll do some surface swims and things like that. I've got a lot of distance I can cover here. So I, I will probably just do that. All right. So that is where I sit with not being able to dive at an amazing place that, again, it's got octopus, it's got wolf eels, all kinds of rockfish, all kinds of life. I just, I love this place. When you're in colder water, you see a lot of really interesting life. The water is denser. That means that your plankton is going to be a little denser. And it's just, you know, it's not like tropical diving. I mean, you have to put a dry suit on. You've got to wear the underwear. Um, you have to, you know, the hood, the gloves, everything. You feel like a big blimp as you're trying to enter the water with all your gear on. Well, that's Northwest diving, Pacific Northwest diving. And that's what we do. Training out at Lucky Peak all the times with dry suits, training up at Redfish, all those places. It makes this dive much more enjoyable if you've had a lot of time doing dry suits or even seven mils and getting used to that bulkiness. All right. Hey, very quickly, speaking of diving Lucky Peak and different destinations, I do want to say congratulations to Milana and Tamar as well as Jason for getting certified. Now, Tamar started out as one of my breathe divers. And have just watched her grown and watched her progress, not only in diving, but also with a lot of challenges that she has had in life. And 
it just it has reaffirmed how much diving really does help and provides a motivation for people to grow. So Tamar, huge congratulations to you. Milana, you have been one of the, the most fun, enjoyable experiences of teaching diving. And I don't I don't normally teach kids. So a lot of people know that. And Milana is 13 or 14 and was just an absolute joy uh, to teach. I mean, from the first moment that she went underwater, my dive buddy Brooks was the one who got her introduced into her first scuba experiences. I took the, the instruction from there and it has just been a pure joy. And then Jason is our public safety diver out of Canyon County. And so I'm actually doing uh, Jason through a public safety prep course to get him ready when he does take over that dive team and goes on to public safety diving. Everyone that I've done a public safety prep course for has done fantastic as they go to their public safety course. Jason's just been a blast to teach, and I've got more stories about him later on. Hey, speaking of public safety diving, I do want to talk about some tragic events that have happened in our area recently. And just a reminder to people who are certified on diving. So we had a drowning in Quinn's Pond, one of the places I, I frequent quite a bit, several weeks ago or a few weeks ago. And then recently we've got someone out at Lucky Peak, a place that we often go to. And in fact, they went down. It was on a jet ski. Jet ski threw the rider off or one of the riders off and, and he drowned. You know, very unfortunate for the family. One of the things I'm seeing on Facebook and some of the, the local dive boards is people coming on. Hey, can you help the family out? Can you go look for this diver? And I see people who are open water certified or might have a rescue certification and they're volunteering for this. Okay, so first of all, looking for, and I've, and I've got experience with this, looking for and recovering a body is much harder than what it sounds. Now, full disclosure, I've been on several recovery search, you know, search missions and recovery missions. I have never recovered a body. I'll throw that right out there. I've been on several missions. I, and, and honestly, I'm glad that I haven't because I think it would change my aspect of diving. I've had to pull somebody out. I've had to do CPR on somebody. I was unsuccessful. And that stays with you. And we're going to talk about guilt in the show a little later on. But that stays with you, that image. And that's one of the reasons why I don't teach kids. Because there are times where I've been teaching kids and that comes back. So that's that's something I have to fight. But I, again, I've been out on those searches. I looked at it like this. My, what I was doing was I was shrinking the grid for the, you know, for the guy who was going to do the recovery is, is how I looked at that. If you are not a public safety diver, if you are not specifically trained in doing search and recovery in public safety operations, stay the hell out of the way. I see diver after diver after diver. My name is getting plugged in there because people know that I've got, you know, I've got that kind of experience. There was a posting, does anybody have uh, combat diver experience? And people start, you know, posting, you know, posting up first. Well, okay. First of all, going back, uh, 
combat diver does not mean a recovery diver, all right? Where this individual is sitting is really, really deep water. So not only having the public safety aspect, but having the search aspect, plus having extended range because most deep divers, they go down, they hang out for a few moments, and then they come back up. This is doing extensive searching. So please do not. It, it, it's the same thing as asking, hey, there's a robbery going on at the local Circle K. Can anybody who has a concealed license go in and stop it? All right. You're not trained for that. You know, if, 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 you're, if you're not trained specifically for that, stay out of the way. Yes, there are other ways that you can help, uh, but actually jumping in the water because right now it's under Ada County. Ada County Search and Rescue has got it going on. The last thing they want is for you to be in the way interfering. Okay. And it's, it's just because you've been through an open water course or an advanced course where you got to go out and play with a finger reel or because you've lifted an anchor or you know, a wash machine or whatever in the water that you, that you did in your advanced course or because you've done rescue, it doesn't qualify you to go out and search for a body. And you're actually putting yourself and your dive buddy in more danger when you go and do those things. So the area that this individual went down in, I mean, it is, it's really deep. I've, I've been in a lot of those areas down there. Uh, but what they're saying is that, that this individual may be even deeper than, you know, chances are they may be even deeper than what we've been to. So again, it's just, um, just, you know, trying to keep people safe and trying to keep you out of whatever municipality it is, all right, whether it's Ada County, Kenny County, wherever it is that you happen to live, those agencies have contacts of divers who have experience with that. Oh, hey, very cool, an eagle flying by. But so just, you know, make sure that you that you stay out of the way and, and, and all like that. That can bring on, you know, one of the things I want to talk about in today's show is, is guilt. And I want to share a little bit of, of my story here. The... Um, Today I want to talk about guilt and and blame, and this can happen in any for especially for veterans. It can happen in any kind of scenario. You feel guilty about losing a buddy. You feel guilty that somebody got hurt. You in a in a spousal or a, a parental situation, you can feel guilty and and take blame for things that may not necessarily be be your fault there are people who feel guilty and blame themselves because they've had to put up with abuse they feel guilty and blame themselves because of some type of trauma that has happened and oftentimes survivors of trauma feel an a, a disproportion and maybe even a inappropriate guilt or shame about things that they did or maybe things that they didn't do and we really have to be aware that before we blame ourselves for what happened, we need to think about errors in the thinking that we can that we can make. So, my story. 1995, I was a ground combat instructor at Fort Dix, New Jersey. We... Uh, we were on the obstacle course that morning 
and running running our candidates and our and our students through the uh, basically running running well we're running through the obstacle course I mean, that was the, that was the mission of, of the day and you know if you're familiar with obstacle courses at, at really any place where you know where, you know where the army is at or even the marine corps is at i mean they're they're pretty rigorous obstacle courses and you have things like you know the log crawl and the dirty name you have jacob's ladder all those different types of obstacles well because i had a background in rock climbing and because at the time heights did not bother me at all i had zero fear of heights you know had done multiple uh, face climbs had done you know had, had done mountaineering and that kind of stuff so it was pretty natural for my fellow instructors you know hey andy at the time they called me andy right so hey andy you take the cargo net so i was always the guy that was up on top of the cargo net and motivating and pushing troops the security forces course is a uh, well the security forces career field is a uh, career field that has allowed females in it so we had both males and females coming through i had one of my wasn't on my squad it was actually on my buddy's squad uh one of her you know one of his students was coming through and her name was tracy had been an outstanding student had been an outstanding you know had, had performed outstanding all throughout the course whether it was on patrols you know setting up uh, defensive positions uh, land navigation all the all the combat task you know all all the all the soldiers all you know all 39 of the soldier soldier skills was passing without a flaw outstanding student great on pt great on soldiering skills great on musketry all that kind of stuff right was was really squared away <clears throat> she's coming through the obstacle course gets comes to the comes to the cargo net is climbing up and at 15 feet she looks at me and says sergeant I can't go on and I look down and about that point um, I was like you know come on troop you've got this and she says I can't hold on and she lets go She landed, the way she landed, paralyzed her from the chest down. I don't think I touched a single rope as I was coming down. I mean, I'm sure I did, but as I, but I got off the obstacle as quick as I could. Another, and, and then immediately started yelling for a medic. At some point, they stopped students going, going over the obstacle. And I remember a medic coming over. And started working with her, and they actually pulled me away. And uh, I was pretty sure at that point, because of the tests that they were doing, that she was paralyzed. I knew right then and there that she was paralyzed. They did have me go up later on, and yes, she was paralyzed from the chest down. A couple of days later, during, and this is just a few days before graduation. This is like two or three days before grad. And so after we did the graduation with the rest of the unit a few days later they had me go out 
and meet with her and give her her break. I have to tell you, that was, that was really difficult to do. The, when it happened was on a, and I, and I don't remember exactly, it was either a Thursday or a Friday. I remember that they put me on suicide watch and wanted to make sure that I was okay. But I have always felt guilty and I've blamed myself for that incident. And it's, it is one of the recurring nightmares that I have is watching her because I was eye to eye with her when she fell. And that's been something that has been, as a matter of fact, I don't climb anymore. I'm actually scared of heights, <laughs> you know, now. Uh, even, even going on rides in amusement parks, I don't like the heights. I'll do them. I, enjoy, I you know, but I mean, I haven't uh, really haven't partaken in a lot of stuff like that. But heights scare me. Even something that, you know, climbing on my roof to put Christmas tree lights on used to never be an issue until 1995. And I couldn't do heights anymore. So you may have your own story. You may have a situation where there was something that happened during a combat operation or something that happened in a training operation. It could be, it, it could be trauma that, is, that you deal with in a marriage or a relationship. It could be trauma that you deal with as a parent, you know, as, as a responder. I know, I know that, you know, another incident that, that I will tell a story about later on is going in after a kid that we were pretty sure had already expired um, and dealt with the car wreck going in, going into water and actually going in the water to try to, to try to make the rescue. I'm not going to share that story today. But I do want to talk about things that we need to look at before we really throw the whole blame and guilt thing on ourselves. And it's about nine or ten different areas, so just kind of kind of hang with me as I go through these. I may even expand this show out later on, but I do want to start going through this. But you want to start looking at different areas. And the first one is hindsight bias. And with hindsight bias, the um, there's this illusion where knowing the outcome distorts what we think we knew at the time. Oftentimes what happens is people who survive trauma, they wrongly believe that they knew the event would happen. Like, man, I should have known. You know, I should have kept them from doing that. I've got a really good friend of mine that his son took his own life. And his son was very active with hunting doing combat targetry, that kind of stuff, right? And, and his son took his life with one of his competition weapons. And he, you know, one of the things he keeps reliving is, man, I, you know, I should have seen that there was something going on and not had him involved in hunting or had him involved in, in, in combat targetry or, or anything like that. What happens is we falsely conclude that we're the ones who caused the events to happen. I mean, it'd be easy to go back and say, man, you know, I... I should have seen that Tracy was not ready to go up, you know, you know, to go up the cargo net, or maybe I should have seen that, that the, the, the bark pad area was not as deep as what it, as what it could have been, which by the way, that was what wound up being the fault is that the bark had never been covered in that area. 
we were at the time we were never trained we had never been trained on how to go in and inspect an obstacle course all we know is that the ncoic approved the course for us to go on that day meaning that they had done the walk around they checked it off uh, but still as the guy who was involved in that i have to go back and go man man i should have known that well i had no basis to go on there's no reason i had never been trained had never been had that experience before but it'd be real easy to go back and say hey I, I should know more about that. The other one is exaggerating our role in events. And every event has a lot of contributing factors, but we have the tendency to magnify what our own role is. We have to be able to go back and, and look to make sure of what our what, what our true role is. You know, for, for my friend who whose son took his life, that was a decision, unfortunately, that that his son had made, uh, you know, to to do that, and there was nothing leading up to that that would really give any kind of warning signs of what he was going to do, and this goes along with, I could have prevented it, or maybe, you know, maybe I caused it. So another friend of mine who who was in combat operations, when an IED went off, he was knocked unconscious. And he lost, you know, one of his ranger buddies. And he's always blamed himself because he was not, you know, you know, he felt that he could have prevented it if he could have seen the IED, if he could have, you know, maybe if he had switched seats in, uh, in the Humvee, you know, he felt, he's always felt guilty because, you know, because of where, where he was sitting. Another one is assuming that because he was accountable that he had the power after the outcome. So in some you know some trauma survivors will actually go in and they make the mistake that because that they were somehow accountable perhaps because they had a role as a parent, as a leader, uh, as a spouse, as the person who's in charge that they had the power to prevent that kind of an outcome. And they're saying, hey, it was you know, my job to make sure that they're okay. Man, I went through that a lot because I was the, the safety official on top of, because I, was, you know, because I was the safety official that was on top of that obstacle at the time, I was the person who was in charge. At the same time, you know, a friend of mine, you know, my, you know, my, my platoon buddy could have said, man, I was their squad leader. I should have seen that. You know, she didn't have upper body strength or, or whatever it was. And by the way, in the in the outcome of this, when they when they interviewed the uh, the participant, when they interviewed the student, you know, she said, point blank, I let go. And essentially, what happened was was when she let go, uh, she fell she fell backwards and and head first because her feet were still on the on the ropes. And that doesn't change how I was feeling that I was the, I was that person who was, was in charge. We can also look at things like, you know, we make decisions differently when we're under pressure or in an emergency. So exigent circumstances can always, you know, change how, how we feel about something or how we might act. And we can feel guilty about the way that we reacted at that time, you know, and, you know, really kind of second guessing ourselves and what happens is our thinking changes when we are threatened 
the amygdala hijack happens. We either freeze, fight, flight. You know, when the amygdala responds, that's what well, that's what keeps us alive. So you know, why didn't we freeze? Why didn't we run? Why didn't we fire back? Whatever it happens to be. What options were was I aware of at the time? Uh, am I comparing what I did to some fantasy or ideal standard? You know, could it, could I have done it better? Am I only focusing on the good things that might have happened had I chosen a different option? And that's something we have to look at. We we have to understand the reality is what the what the reality is. So these are just a few of the areas I'm going to do a full show. I think on on going through a checklist of do I blame myself? As a matter of fact, I'm going to throw this up on the website here in the next couple of days. But we need to to go through several areas and see if we really are assigning false blame and false guilt to ourselves. Taking on too much blame and taking on too much guilt as as veterans is one of the things that keeps us locked into that PTSD cycle. We have to find a way to release ourselves of the things that we had no control over. We have to find a way to, to see that what happened is what happened and perhaps it isn't our fault. In fact, in many cases, when I talk with people and I coach people, I find out that it is, is really not, not their fault. So those are some things that I'm going to challenge you with really this next week. And again, I'll get that link posted up over to, uh, to the website. Would like to hear your stories. I have an open invitation for anybody who wants to talk about their PTSD and the challenges they've had. Or anyone wants to talk about diving. I mean, that, that's, an, that's an open invitation. So don't forget, you can always call into the show, 208-254-0436. Once again, that's 208-254-0436. And speaking of that, Wade Finning is, has been a huge supporter of Neptune Warrior almost since day one. And he was kind enough to call in and leave this message. Rob, this is Wade. I want to tell you, thank you very much for your podcast. I enjoy every episode. Uh, even the ones where you say you're rambling, I uh, I always pick up something new, and I appreciate that. And you do make a difference. And along the lines for your uh, your 15-mile swim, keep thin, but you're going to get there. I, I firmly believe that. So words of encouragement, we're there with you, and uh, keep up the good work. Take care. Bye. I always like hearing those words of encouragement come through. And Wade, thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. And I appreciate that you like that I ramble. I know this morning I'm rambling. This is a tough show for me because I'm kind of peeling back the onion a little bit and showing a little bit about myself and one of the things I have to work through. You know, understanding how how guilt and how it, it impacts us. And, you know, sometimes wishing that we could have done something different and not always seeing that we're ignoring the benefits of the options that we chose and pushing ourselves to the point where we think that maybe we should be acting or that we should have acted on on a hunch or a gut feeling 
those are important things that, that we need to, to get through. One of the things we have to make sure is that we are not confusing what we feel with the evidence that is out there. Just because you feel guilty doesn't make it so. Emotions often give a feeling of truth or untruth. We also have to ensure that we're not ignoring the fact that when all choices are bad, choosing the least bad option can be a moral choice. Many victims of trauma are faced with an array of options which lead to bad outcomes. Victims of abuse are likely to suffer negative consequences whether they fight back or not, or whether they disclose or don't disclose. As soldiers, we're often in kill or be killed situations. In those circumstances, choosing the least worst option is highly moral. One of the quotes I really enjoy is, Every day, think as you wake. Today, I'm fortunate to be alive. I have a precious human life. I'm not going to waste it. and I'm going to use all my energies to develop myself, to expand my heart, out to others to achieve enlightenment and benefit of all beings. And that is from the Dalai Lama. Hey, thank you so much for being part of the show. We'll do a couple more from Hoodsport. Keep pressing on, guys. And remember, as long as you've got air, you're all right. <laughs>